we're here to serve. We're here to eat and leave no crumbs. You're here to be mommy and daddy. I don't really know a lot about Gen Z culture. I'm just, I hope that this is working. Hey besties, welcome to Chapel Belcurve. I like that, I like that, I like that. Okay, I'm Yara. And I'm Nathan. And we are back here to eat in the first episode of our 2023 season. I guess our first preseason episode. We had a little bit of a five-month hiatus and we're back. Just to be clear, Justin is not dead. He is working and could not be here today. And in his absence, we've decided to change things and sort of like Gen Zify our vibe a little bit. We're yassifying it. Yes. You know, we're we're here to serve. We're here to eat and leave no crumbs. You're here to be mommy and daddy. I don't really know a lot about Gen Z culture. I'm just, I hope that this is working. Yes, it is. You're doing great. What we are actually going to do, we're going to talk about what we did over the summer uh, in, in our absence. We are going to give a little, I guess, personal update. We're all going to listen to my cat whine. We're also going to talk about the owings on over the off season, which there were many and some of them that were quite sort of seismic changes to the face of college football and then we're going to go over some of those good numbers with ross rutledge proprietor of r2 sports metrics and our good friend who is the leading up the cbc r2 predictive metric project and many others that are way too smart for us he's way too good for us and he's going to come and give us the the sort of lay of the land for this season in terms of the best and worst teams that we need to be looking out for yara hi how's life bud Oh gosh. Okay. So during the hiatus, I kind of went ghost mode. I just went off the grid and I got really into fitness, like going to the gym, not to be a gym girly on Maine, but like I got into it, you know, I got into F1 and IndyCar and like formula series. That's super cool. And legal drinking because I'm 21 now. I turned 21 in February. Finally. And I totally absolutely was not drinking beforehand because I am responsible and I do not break the law. I do not condone underage drinking. Let that be known. But yeah, I threw a sick ass 21st birthday party, which is like the first party I've ever thrown. I've never really had a birthday party. That's my fun fact. That's my beige flag. Also, I'm taking a victory lap semester because I fucked, well, I want to 3P and also I fucked up how many credits I actually need to graduate. So I'm only graduating a semester early now. It's heartbreaking. The The academic demon in me is crying. How about you? It's been a, a shockingly boring middle-aged man summer. Basically over the summer, all I did was play video games. I played a lot of Baldur's Gate 3 towards the end of summer, which is a very good Dungeons and Dragons game that is... And, and I know what I'm saying when I say this, and I played a lot of games that you would think take this title, but it is by far the horniest game I've ever played. Nice. Baldur's Gate 3 is so horny, it sometimes makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't know how else to say that. Like, think about everything you've heard me say on this podcast. And like, it makes me go, oh, that should be in private. Like, it brings out the Puritan in me sometimes. Uh, but it is, it's, it's excellent, excellent. I also did, yeah, I did a lot of Pelotoning. Did, I got Ooh. on the bike. I have a Peloton and I've had it for a while, but I really got it back into that because I'm also a gym girly. Let's see, just finished up uh, Bandcamp with Redcoats yesterday. 
And of course I did yes. my high school band camp at Commerce as well. It was, we had a lot of logistical hurdles this year. There was a lot going on as there always is with Redcoats, but we got through it. I will say by the time I got home yesterday, it was like 1030 and I you know when you're so tired, it's stopped being like a physical thing and it's moved on to like psychological symptoms. Yes. Uh, that's where we were. I, I was just, I was like fully, my, my body was exhausted, but really my brain was just like, I was wildly disassociating even, even Saturday morning. I went out to eat with some friends and they were like, Hey bud, are you okay? Cause I was just sitting at the table at mama's boy staring into space. Oh my God. Wait, which mama's boy did you go to? We always go to the new one because it's closer to our house and it's also nice. Word. Which one is the new one again? The one on Macon highway, not the one near downtown. The one near downtown, um... like on Oconee street is the old one. Okay. Okay. Noted. I, I just moved. I live across the street. What? Yeah. I was saying that because okay. I just moved to the, not to dox myself, but like I moved across the street from the mama's boy on a coat, on a coney. And I was walking outside Saturday morning, like getting on the uh, bus. So we could have seen each other, but. Well, do you like your new house or apartment? Uh, it's an apartment. I live at the flats. It's so nice. Dude, it is so nice. Like, do not fucking get me started. It is crazy. I feel like I should, like, I do not need to live here like it just you know when something feels too fancy for you like you look oh, yeah. at something and you're like this is out of my tax bracket like what the fuck is going on that's how this feels it feels so fancy it's amazing well i'm very excited you were a bougie girl and you deserve the bougie girl lifestyle i also Thank want to you. say that you having you on here is very refreshing because very often the person at the most risk of cursing on in any given place and on the show is me and having it not be me is just such a weight off my shoulders I, I guess this is probably what justin has felt like all of these years we are by the way two important anniversaries this year uh this is my 10th year teaching so yay i've survived yeah! i love that and also this is the beginning of our seventh season here at chapel bell curve we're excited that all of you have stuck with us those of you who yeah. been here since the first episode and those of you who are just now listening we're happy to have you here so at the risk of doing our typical chapel bell curve thing and not ever talking about football let's get into some actual football content we have sort of like two big things we want to talk about one of them is of course the big shift that happened this year in college football with all of the realignment stuff and then we also want to talk about yara's hate for john sanders this is everyone's samio hey. sam's worried that she was uh accidentally on video but she wasn't so Anyway, so Word. let's talk about Yara's like axe that she has to grind against Deion Sanders. I'm just going to give you the floor. I, I didn't really Thank know you. about this, but you had a lot to say. So yeah, give me the Deion deets. Okay. Full on shout out before I even say this to my friend Zach Hallett for like literally talking about this with me recently. And we've just like gone on a spree about it. So, okay made like this huge deal about only one hbc or hbcu player getting drafted this year which is like yeah and that one player got hospitalized last night after uh the patriots packers preseason game and as of like now o'clock and i could you know totally be wrong because i checked this i last checked this like 30 minutes ago so if something happens like i didn't know he hasn't like con but uh dion hasn't commented on it at all like no like support or anything like that. And it just, it re like emphasizes to me personally that he like doesn't care about the players. He doesn't care about the HBCUs. He doesn't care about anything. He just wants to get his name into the media and like in the spotlight. 
and it pisses me off because like it could be different because I am the same age as a lot of these like people or like very close in age to these people that are getting drafted like these people that are you know well yeah they are getting drafted they're like 21 22 getting drafted and I'm 21 now it just pisses me off because like we should not be and this goes on to you know uh pac 12 news as well we are not like commodities and obviously i can't speak for the student athlete experience but like we at the end of the day we are kids we don't know what we're doing a lot of the time and like it would help to have support where we need it most and it's clear that he doesn't support he just wants his he just wants his class and it pisses me off it grinds my gears if you will not to sound like a millennial on me but yeah that's my take um i wish he actually cared about you know student athletes and people instead of his own clout thank you for coming to my ted talk uh, yeah i we did present this as sort of like your gen z axe to grind but I, I do think that if you look at the course of Dion's coaching career, it's pretty clear that he cares a lot about his image. Like he comes with a documentary crew basically at all times. Like, and he has all of these endorsements and he's, you know, like a celebrity first, I think, and in some ways a coach second. And yeah. I think that in general, many coaches kind of pay lip service to caring about their student athletes or athletes or whatever, the people who work for them. And this is at all levels, I think that just sort of just pay lip surface to it but it is in particular galling to see in the same way that coaches like Hugh Freeze have wrapped themselves in Christianity Dion has as well and it's pretty galling to see someone who talks about doing it the right way and raising young men and you know who has had comments about how like players from single family or single parent homes like they're angrier like they want to fight more you know it's really galling to see that guy who has like a sort of way that he wants it done, not at least sort of pretend to care about his former athlete. Yeah. When like, as you said, this is a guy who has made literal millions of dollars off of the unpaid labor of student athletes. And I know now that we're in our Gen Z era, it's very on trend to talk about labor concerns, but, but in, in all seriousness, one of the things I respect is when, if you're gonna be mercenary, at least cop to being mercenary. Don't pretend that you're better yeah. than everyone else. That's what's, that's what's so, to sort of segue us into something that we're gonna talk about, I guess right now, that's what's kind of galling about the Big 10 and all of this realignment news, where basically like you have the Big 10, a conference that prides itself in being like the academic conference. Like we have a certain level of expectation and all of our schools are accredited by this really hard accreditation service. But at the same time, they are, just as mercenary in the destruction of the Big 12 as the SEC, or this destruction of the Pac-12, the SEC ever was throughout their existence. And that sort of brings us into our realignment news. And I'm gonna run this down and then I'd like to hear what you think about it. So the Pac-12 is now down to the Pac-4. USC and UCLA had already left to the Big 10. Now Colorado has followed Arizona, both the Arizonas, Arizona State and Utah, and gone to the Big 12. And the Colorado, of course, that happened, I think, like two weeks before everything else like blew up. And then I guess also Oregon and Washington went to big, the Big 10 after Colorado, Utah, Arizona and Arizona State left. But you're basically left with like the Pac-4, the, the people who haven't gotten out, which I believe is Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State, and then Cal. 
are the four that are left. And now the Big 12 has, of course, expanded, I guess, the Big 16, 18, something like that. To me, it feels like that this is the growth, this is the birthing pains of the Super Leagues, that we're going to see some sort of separation between the NCAA and the top 30 or 40 teams in college football. I hate to sound like an, old, an angry old man, but to me, this is sort of the destruction of something that I really love about college football, which is these weird regional rivalries where you have two two rivals that are in the same state that hate each other and maybe they are unequally resourced but their their hatred for each other and the silliness in that hatred is sort of appealing and i know that there is a little bit of sort of nostalgia bias going on when we talk about value of these rivalries in these conferences but i think that what separates college football from the nfl which i have absolutely no interest in is that it's always allowed itself to be a little inefficient and weird. College football for its entire history has been sort of a confederacy of dunces. I think Stephen Godfrey calls it like a, a flotilla of aligned federations. It's just a bunch of people paddling kind of in the same direction. And I like that. And, and yeah, it leads to some really deeply stupid shit. But it is also sort of charming in how stupid it is. And, you know, I would say, speaking of stupidity, that the real heel in all of this is not, well, George Kleafkaz is, is the the current mission of the big of the Pac-12 and it's absolutely failed to get a media deal done, which is sort of why this happened. And I can go into the TikTok of that in a second if you want. But the real heel of this is Larry Scott. Do you know who Larry Scott is, Yara? No. Larry Scott was the former commissioner of the Pac-12. So basically this huge oh, so realignment thing. Bitch. He is a bit, yes. Okay. Yeah. And he is he is more than your average Pac-12 or SEC or whatever commissioner because basically what happened is what had happened is that in the last round of Big 12 media deal, there are levels of TV rights. Instead of letting their media rights go to the open market, the Pac-12 decided to keep their media rights and then make their own network, the Pac-12 network. SEC and the ACC both have their own networks, but those are partially owned by, or they have a ownership stake by ESPN. So I think ESPN owns like 51% of the SEC network. And also, and this is super important, ESPN uses their own equipment and techno and you know-how know and labor basically to run the network. Even though the SEC doesn't get as much money as they hypothetically could, they also don't have to spend as much money. This is true for the ACC as well, because the ESPN is doing sort of like the technical heavy lifting on it. So the Pac-12 keeps its rights and it starts the the Pac-12 network. Problem is there's this massive startup cost. And then on top of that, they also buy this like $20 million building in downtown San Francisco to be the Pac-12 offices. And then on top of that, they can't get their TV, their TV network, which is actually like 10 TV networks because there's like a TV network for each like school kind of can't get any of their networks carried on direct TV or dish, which is like, which are the two biggest providers in America. So basically you only will see, like the only way to watch Pac-12 games is when they are big enough to be picked up by ESPN, Fox, in the sort of like Pac-12 after dark slot. And so what this leads to is that the Pac-12 does not distribute as much money to its schools, and this is over the last 10 years, ergo leaves to these schools falling behind in the facilities race and in the recruiting race, which has led to this slow dissolution. So George Klyavkov comes in and he's like this, I think he's like a, he has like a TV background and he's gonna, he's supposed to negotiate their TV deal this year. And as of like January, they said it was about to happen. And in February, they said it was gonna be about to happen. And then they said it was gonna happen before Pac-12 media days and it didn't happen at all. And basically what happened is, I'm using the word happened way too much, but basically what occurred was that because there was no, they had no guarantees for what was going to happen after their media deal was up, the Pac-12 just like sort of splintered. 
This brings me back around my to my hate for the Big Ten because it's like Big Ten, the holier than thou conference, the manball conference that does things the right way in the American way was and I guess they did do things the American way in the sense that they ruthlessly murdered something that actually had some creative and philosophical meaning because it would make them more money. Here we are. Do you have any reaction to all of that? Damn, you know, I will go I'll go on and on about like my jives against the destruction of what makes college football great which was the like you were saying the little silly rivalries like the in-state rivalries the sickoness of it all if you will and it sucks you know it sucks that money is destroying something that so many people care about and something that is so unique there's a reason that in the south and in a lot of states college football is bigger than the NFL. And it's really disheartening to see something so special as this just get destroyed by money and by greed. Not even to mention the student athletes again. They're now going from playing like regionalized and like for a lot of people, including some people that I know, like they chose their specific school, not because of NIL, not because of anything like that, but because it was so close to family and it was so close to home. And that's a big thing for me too. Like I chose Georgia because it's close to home and I am really tight with my family. Now they're going from playing all these regionalized games to playing all the way across the country. And that's not good for various reasons. You know, it's not good for mental health. It's not good for academics because these student athletes are now going to be trying to figure out school while they're on a plane or doing something crazy. And it's not even just football that this affects. This affects baseball, softball, tennis, all of these sports that. And now all these student athletes are like, I'm a fuck. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah, and you know that these these universities, however much money they make, they're not going to be shelling out however much money it costs to send the bowling team or the tennis team across the country on a private jet, right? So these these are going to be, generally, they're going to be either flying commuter or on a bus. And like you said, the the academic and mental health concerns which I would say that the mental health concerns at the collegiate level across the country, outside of student athletes, are already very high. I, I think that there are a lot of reasons it's bad. I think saying it's bad for the kids is true. I, it strikes me as sort of annoying when people at the highest levels of power say that it's bad for kids because it's like, well, you the, you're the person who can do something about it. Right? So like, yeah. maybe just pay them, pay them money so they can... <laughs> excess resources Literally. with the money that they have. Like it's, I don't know how confusing this is. I absolutely agree. And, and I also think that we've been making Gen Z joke all the way through this episode, but I do think that is, that's actually really important uh, context. Um, I'm interested to hear, you know, as someone who is a pretty new to college football fan, only been a fan a few years, only been alive a few years, interested in that perspective because you don't necessarily have the same level of investment or whatever uh, into the history of the sport that Maybe an older fan would. Do you have anything else to add? I mean, fuck Larry Scott. I'll smoke a Larry Scott pack any day. Like, he sounds like a bitch. I seriously think, I bet he's five foot seven. Let me actually live time look up a picture of this man or maybe his height. So, oh, okay. I have context for this, I swear. Um, He's six two. Damn it. Apparently, he's also yeah listen 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 hear me out okay so i my friends and i have this theory that not all men but pretty much all famous men that are exactly five seven or like famous in the yara cinematic universe i guess they're all evil they're all scum 
So, and I have evidence to back this up. This is not just like a, a willy-nilly claim. Five, seven men we hate. It's a, it's a note on my phone. You have a, you have a list. Ready? Okay. Let me cook. So Joe Rogan, Mussolini, Tom Cruise, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Tim Jong-un, Ben Shapiro, Nick Saban, Putin, Aiden Gallagher, who's this one bitch actor I really hate. He was in, Umbr- he was in Umbrella Academy and he gives me like bad vibes. And Christian Horner, who's the Red Bull team principal in F1. They are all five foot fucking seven, right? Not all five, seven men, but these ones specifically, like all the famous ones, they are bad. Thank you for coming to that TED Talk. I will go on about it forever. I'm interested in, do you have any theories about why this is? Realistically, five, seven is like the average height for a man or something like that. So it's probably that. But I like to think it's because all of the anger and rage and stuff is like normally very equally distributed amongst a person but because they are five seven it just gets concentrated in their bodies and they just they're so much more annoying than just normal people pitbull is five seven no mr worldwide no mr worldwide is exempt from this from the okay. from my example oh here we go jonah hill jonah hill five seven yeah yeah exactly notorious dirtbag being crosby wife of user beat his beat his kids also the lead singer of green day who i hate is five seven and this is starting to add up green day again you know who green day is i know who green day is it's it's billy joe armstrong is his name oh that see i know that name i'm so proud of you now you've written a really good question in here are the sec head coaches barbie or oppenheimer so here's what i want to do i want you to pull up a new tab on your device i'm going to just name the head coaches okay okay and i want you to look up a picture and then just give me a like gut reaction barbie or oppenheimer and then you can explain your answer okay ready yes first up we have mississippi state zach arnett ken he is Ken. He is Ken. Oh, okay. So he's, he's a Barbie. Yeah. I like that he's bald. He, he, he looks really good bald. That is a bald man that's fucking it up. Mike Leach, former head coach of Mississippi State, was also definitely a Barbie. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Rest in peace, big dog. Okay, next up, we have Eli Drinkwitz of Missouri. Oppenheimer. But he would appreciate it in like, yeah, I'm looking at his face now. Which his face card is declining, by the way. Oppenheimer. And he was really interested in it afterwards. Like, he got really into the Cold War and stuff. Yeah, he's not into it because he thinks that, like, Chris Nolan is a genius. He's like a World War II dad. Okay, Billy Napier, Florida. I think his jaw's too big to be a Barbie boy. Got that giant, like, masculine jaw. I think he's Oppenheimer, and also when he didn't go see Barbie because he thought it was too girly. Oh, okay. He, he thought it would like threaten his masculinity. So if Eli Drew, if Eli Drinkwitz is like the unproblematic Barbie fan, Billy Napier is the prob or sorry Oppenheimer fan. Billy Napier is the problematic Oppenheimer fan. Yes, exactly. All right. Next up, Sam Pittman, Arkansas. He watched. He says he's Oppenheimer, but he secretly watched barbie and he really enjoyed it and he's getting ready to tell his friends at his next like little brewski meeting with the boys like he's ready to come out as a barbie fan he's gonna do it and i'm so proud of him for doing that absolutely totally agree 
he big Barbie energy, Barbie dad energy. Maybe the yeah. easiest to answer on the list next up is Hugh Freeze. Fortunately, the coach at Auburn. I do not like that man, Hugh Freeze. I think he's the reverse. He tends to be a Barbie guy, but he's actually an Oppenheimer guy. Yes. Hook. I can get behind that one. Next up, and I'll leave this one to you. I'm interested to hear your, your take on it. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. Oh, my God, Jimbo. My fucking man. Okay, as, in, as an aside note, over the summer, my friend Kaylee and I did this thing with all of the SEC coaches, and we discussed whether they would be like in a hypothetical blunt rotation, whether they would be like dream blunt rotation or nightmare blunt rotation. He is on, okay, in a sicko's way, he's on my dream blunt rotation list. Like, it would be, I feel like he has a lot of thoughts. And he also, his face is just really funny. And I would think I would have a good time. But he is Barbenheimer, but he watched Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. Wow, that was a great answer. And can I briefly, on behalf of our Gen X listeners and all their older listeners, can we, can you get a, can I get a brief, like 10 second explainer on what dream blunt rotation is? As a disclaimer, obviously I do not smoke any sort of illegal things because that's bad. Don't do it, kids. So a dream blunt, well, a blunt rotation is like, y'all know what a, surely you guys know what a blunt rotation is, right? Yeah, yeah, I I would say that yeah, like it's that seventy show. Okay, right? we get it. Okay, like we are using this colloquially, right? So like, just explain. Yes, dream blunt rotation is when you like would want to smoke with them for whatever reason. Like maybe they have good vibes, maybe they like make really good munchies, maybe they have good conversation. Nightmare blunt rotation is when you start getting a little too high and you start getting scared. Like that is what a nightmare blunt rotation feels like. It's like somebody who would not be good to smoke with. Absolutely. I'm with you. All right. I think the easiest one on the list, Lane Kissin, Lane, Lane Kissin. Wow. Freudian slip. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, Barbie or Oppenheimer? Oh my God. He's Barbie. He yeah, is Barbie. So hard. so hard. And that's, and it's amazing. And he's also dream blunt rotation. Oh my God. Yes. Also his daughter is like really big on TikTok and you preach or not huge. Lane Kiffin fucking shows up on my for you page all the time. He's just there. And his daughter did like a TikTok uh, with him singing like the I'm Just Ken song. It's like, I'm just Ken, where I see love, she sees it, friend. And he was doing it so well. It was amazing. He is the most, really believes it. Like he's not just a Barbie guy, like performatively, like he's actually Barbie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's really living. He has good Kennergy. Maybe bad Kennergy, yes. but he definitely has some kind of Kennergy. No, he has, he has really good Kennergy. I feel like he watched Barbie, and then he watched Barbie again, and he had a really insightful discussion about it with his family. Like, he had a good talk, family meeting about what did Barbie mean to you, and, like, how can we embrace the messages of Barbie? And I think, weirdly, of all of the people on this list, and this is weird, because he probably has the furthest to go in some ways, I feel like that... Lane Kiffin is the most likely to have like unpacked. What did this teach me about being a woman in the United States? Yes. How do I unlearn my toxic masculinity? I think, I think he was the one who might've done it. I agree with that. I think he like bought his family, like a lifetime supply of pads and tampons just to erase the pink tax for them. He was like, he's here to support. He is a Ken and I love him. Man, I could do a whole episode about the pink tax. All right. So next up. Shane Beamer, South Carolina. 
oh my god he's so fine i talked about this before what? he's literally he's so attractive to me like in a dad way <laughs> oh my god yara what i'm literally not wrong i'm not fucking wrong like he's fine man oh my god normally i'm not attracted to like, older guys this is not my thing but like, he's hot in like a dope way i could i could be down to hang out if you if you gave me 14 guesses for which head coach of the sec you would say is a dilf shade bieber would probably have been my last pick cool man Why? I, I don't know he just i guess it just depends on angle like there's some pictures of him i'm like what the hell but then there are some pictures i'm like i get it got a nice like uh sort of very even face he's got a very symmetrical face like exactly strong jaw. Yeah. exactly and and he strikes me as a short king yeah okay let's actually look at this height if he's five seven i'm going to cry surely he's not he's five eight let's go let's go the so five eight is the roller coaster you must be this tall to ride the ride kind of let, let me get this straight so i am not anti-short kings literally i really like it when guys are my height or anybody's my height. it just like it's it makes everything easier easier to talk like face to face I really enjoy guys that are my height or just like slightly above my height. It's specifically like five, five, seven men. It's just that height. Like he's five, eight is very, very good. I love a short king. There's hope for all of us. Truly number five on the list, or I guess uh, five more left next up, Mark Stoops, Kentucky. I also think this one is pretty obvious. Yeah. Oppenheimer. He watched Oppenheimer twice. He, Mark Stoops is from Youngstown, Ohio. I don't know why I think this, but I feel like Ohio is the most Oppenheimer state. It's like the, the saddest. It's like Ohio is the place where they understand I have become death the most. Yeah. I mean, I also think New Mexico understands. Okay. Yes. Obviously New Mexico <laughs> understands, but like, I mean, like just in terms of the life that they're living. All right. Next up, Josh Heupel, Tennessee. I mean, in all these pictures, he's smiling and his smile gives me like raw Barbie energy. Like he, it, he watched Barbie and he watched Barbie originally to like take his daughter there. I don't know if he has a kid, but like hypothetical daughter, but then he got really into it. All right. Next up, we have Brian Kelly, LSU, Barbie or Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer, but he also watched Barbie for his kids. And like, he was there for it, but I don't think it was like necessarily his cup of tea. But he still enjoyed the movie. He thought it was a good movie. We, we, we're having a good point from one of our patrons in the chat who said that Cillian Murphy is Irish. Brian Kelly coached the Irish. Brian Kelly, ipso facto, is Oppenheimer. You're about to get flamed on the internet, by the way, because it's Killian Murphy. It's like in the Irish way, you know? I actually really like him. I thought he was really good in Peaky Blinders, and also he was in Batman. All right, the last two, maybe the most important, Nick Saban, Alabama. Oh my fucking God. <sighs> okay. Also, oh my God, unrelated. I completely forgot to add this in our show notes. I think Nick Saban is retiring this year. And I, I Whoa, know that's like a, okay. not a hot take. Okay. No, that's no, that's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. It's a pretty hot. Really? Tip. Yes. Why do you okay. think? Okay. He recently purchased this giant house, and we talked about it on the Discord. Where for as little as one dollar a month, you two can come talk about whether Nick Saban is retiring. Patreon.com/slash/applebellcurve. That is my. Yum. That is my emperor. My emperor Yara. 
Yes. On it. Okay, we were talking about this here. He just purchased like this giant ass house on Lake Jupiter, Lake something in some state. I don't know. But he bought it. And like, that is not a house that you buy just for funsies, you know? Well, it could be. He has like, fuck you, money. But if he already has houses everywhere else, why does he need a house that's like not in Alabama, you know? Like, especially a house of that size, unless you're preparing to retire on the fucking beach. And also, I think he's just old. I think it might be, and it might just be like, chill out time, you know? Chill out on the beach time. So, yeah, I think he's retiring this year. I would really love if our podcast and and our Gen Z outreach coordinator was the one who broke (laughs) Nick Saban is retiring. I would get like, on barstool or some shit that's kind of cool i don't ever want to be patronizing to you or treat you like you're younger than me but being on barstool should not be your like success goal in life okay anyway is nick saban barbie or oppenheimer nick saban is i have to like separate nick saban alabama coach that i do not like and nick saban coach person that might like barbie or oppenheimer I Mm. think he would like, I think he watched Barbie, but like we said previously, I don't know if the message got to him, but he was there. He he found it interesting, but he's a big Oppenheimer guy. He watched it twice. He watched it in the 70 millimeter, whatever film. IMAX. Yeah. What do we think about our own King Kirby, Kirby Smart of UGA? Mans did Barbenheimer in one day. He started off with Oppenheimer. He took a break and then he watched Barbie for dessert, like late at night. And that was that's the correct way to do it, by the way, because that's what I did. Me and my friends got all dressed up and we went to Oppenheimer. And then we had like a little siesta time to process the movie and like think about it. Because I'm big on thinking about movies after I watch them. And then we got like all dressed up and we went to the movie theater and got like little froze, like pink froze drinks for Barbie and we watched Barbie and it was so good. I watched it again. I think that Kirby gets his shop run a little bit by Mary Beth. So I feel like that him being self-reflective about Barbie was not like optional. Yeah. It was like, we are going to go see this movie and then we are going to have a seminar about it. I really hope that he watched Barbie and then came back because it was like really soon in the summer. He came back to football camp and instead of like watching film or something, which they probably did after, but like instead of watching film, he showed the entire football team the Barbie movie. That, oh my God, Deion Sanders wishes he was him, you know? Speaking of kings that we all celebrate, it's time now to bring in our friend Ross Rutledge, proprietor of R2 Sports Metrics. Hello, Ross. Welcome to the program. It's good to have you. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Yara. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. We're doing, we're doing great, bud. We're doing great. So we are, of course, very happy to have you. So briefly, biographically, us, it was a, was one of our patrons who then got a little bit into stats and then he got a lot of bit into stats. And now he runs the really good website, R2 Sports Metrics, where he is the proprietor of the CBCR2 system, as well as Sam. I'm sure you can give us like some blurbs about here in a moment. And we are going to bring him in several times throughout the season, pretty consistently, I hope. And we're just going to talk about what his numbers are telling us. So 
Russ, if you want to give us a little lead in on what you've been working on, and then let's talk about what you're up to these days. Absolutely. So new for this season, I decided to build out. We had the CBC R2 system last year that it was a power rating system that estimated how the, the strength of every each college football team against the average college football team. And it's a really powerful tool for assessing team strength. And the way we've done it is we can also gauge offensive strength and, and, and defensive strength. And so we, we had that system and, and we ran it all of last year. We built it in 2021. It, was, it had its first full season in, in 2022. And one thing that one project that I didn't get around to, though, was building out a, a, a system for simulating the full season so we could assess or estimate the odds of any given event in a, in a, in a season. Uh, and so the, the project I, I took on over the last couple of weeks in my free time uh, has been to build out this simulation system so that we can actually estimate the, the probability of, of any given event happening this season. The workhorse model, of course, is the CBCR2 power system. But we can use that and, and we can estimate the, the variance of, our, of, of the actual result relative to our predictions and use that to simulate 10,000 times, say, the, the entire season. We've also, I've also added a, an empirical element to it that actually models the college football playoff committee's decisions for who's in and who's out. So that that's that was kind of the fun empirical element here. The rest of it is was just building out a system that that simulates things a, a bunch of times. And so the results are, are very fun. Uh, I've had a good time building it. Uh, and over the last few days, I've, I've put the results on Twitter, as well as the main playoff picture table is, is now on my on the on the website, R2 Sports Venture. So I want to just go around and talk conferences. And I thought maybe we would end in the, in the SEC, because of course that's the one that we care about. So I guess we can just hit this like alphabetically ish. So let's start with the ACC. Well, one of the things that actually escaped me or that I had forgotten over the summer was that the ACC actually dropped divisions this year. And so I actually had a bit of a false start because I modeled it as if or simulated it as if the divisions were still real. And, and one of the things that means is that, that, that Clemson and Florida State get a little bit of a boost in terms of the odds of, of winning the, the ACC and, and advancing on uh, beyond that. It, it's not a big boost, but it's, it's enough to be noticeable and, and significant. In the ACC, we're not quite buying FSU yet. We still have them as, as the number two team. But one of the things that we'll talk about as we're going through is that in the preseason model, the, there's, there are thresholds. The lowest rated preseason team to go on to win the championship was 2019 LSU. And they came in at a preseason rating of about 18. And then there have been some large, significant outliers to this particular rule. But for the most part, the vast majority of teams that end up qualifying for the playoffs have a rating, a preseason rating of above, above 14. Florida State's coming in at 13.6. So they're outside of that usual range. They can do it. It's, but it doesn't look like this year is quite there yet to make the playoff. And that's a team that's getting significant amounts of hype. That, that said, I mean, we still have them in the top 15 nationally. But but right now, Clemson is above that 18-point threshold. They are both a playoff contender and a national championship contender. And they look pretty good coming out to, to win the ACC. 
uh, in being a, a potential playoff contender. We've got them as a 55% chance of, of winning ACC. What do we not like? Is there any particular side of the ball that we don't like about FSU? We've got them as looks like they're the best, no, the second best offense behind North Carolina in the ACC, but they've got a 22.5 defensive rating, which is not awesome. I can tell you what that's rated nationally in just a second, but, but yeah, I mean, we just, we don't have them as quite elite here yet on either side of the ball. All right. Well, let's talk about the big 10, everyone's favorite conference after this year's playoff expansion. I also want to apologize to anyone listening to this. If you, if I can't manage to get all my cats meows out of the background track. Anyway, big 10. <laughs> okay. Big 10 East is where it's at, right? Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, Penn state. A lot of people are talking about it as a, as a team that's maybe poised like Florida state to, to make a leap into the elite tier and potentially compete for the playoff. I, I, that's a, at least what I've heard on, on the podcast I've listened to and in the rankings that I've seen, I've seen them as top 10 teams, something like that. Our system is not buying Penn State yet. We're also not quite buying Michigan as an oh, in the top tier in terms of Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. They're just on the outside. They're sitting there closer to LSU than they are the, the, the top three in our system. And that said, the Big Ten is pretty soft they're just it's just a soft conference outside of those three teams plus maybe wisconsin uh in iowa so you've got teams that i've been kind of calling spoilers wisconsin iowa penn state they're good enough on any given day to beat an elite team but they're not going to be really competing for a title michigan ohio state they shouldn't falter outside of a really good slash a really good day for their opponent and a really bad day for, for themselves. So really the, the, the real threat to Michigan and Ohio State is Michigan and Ohio State. We've got them both set up pretty who whichever one of those teams is that, that makes the the big uh the Big Ten title game out of the East is likely to take it home. The Ohio State, for instance, is a fifty one percent chance or fifty two percent chance of winning the the Big Ten and Michigan is another 27% chance of of winning the Big Ten. We've got Wisconsin with a pretty good shot to come out of the West and play Michigan or or Ohio State in that game, but they they only have a slightly above 10% chance of of prevailing. So we think that, and I I think your analysis on Penn State is spot on. They are getting some buzz. I mean, especially I've, I've heard a lot of buzz from Split Zone Duo about them. I've heard, I've read some buzz online. Did we see them as being like closer to Wisconsin, I guess? Like, and I know you said we had them closer to LSU nationally, but inside of the actual Big Ten, we see them to being closer to Wisconsin than they are to Michigan or Ohio State. So to be clear, I said Michigan is closer to LSU than than they are okay. to Bama, Ohio State. It's, yeah, Penn State's closer to Wisconsin than those other teams, okay. for sure. We've got them at, at 13.9. Uh, Wisconsin's coming in at 11.9. So they're, they're two points ahead of each other. So. Penn State would be on the neutral field, a two-point a two point favorite. So what about transitioning us over to everyone's, I guess, darling conference these days in realignment, the Big 12, in the final ride of Texas and Oklahoma? Uh, the Big 12, we've got Texas and Oklahoma as, a, as ahead of the pack. TCU, unfortunately, unlikely to, to make another run. Uh, UCF, it's looking okay. Like, they might finish middle of the pack their first year in the, in the league. Yeah, we, they... Baylor and maybe Kansas State are kind of maybe spoilers 
But we've got Texas and Oklahoma. Texas as as a pretty solid playoff contender. Oklahoma as a borderline, a bubble playoff contender. It's likely one of those two are going to win the conference. If they manage, if one of them manages to only lose one game, which, you know, still odds are against that, they've maybe got a playoff shot. We've got both teams as as bubble playoff teams. Texas has has the game at Alabama. That's going to be really hard. So so they'll, they'll, they'll likely drop the game at Bama. And and then they'll have to be perfect in the Big 12 to make it through. But we do have Texas as as a top 10 team, uh, a playoff contender, and uh, the most likely team. They, they have a 56% chance of, of winning the conference, 36 uh, for Oklahoma, and the rest to the also-rans. What about the Pac-12, the, the artist formerly known as the Pac-12? So the interesting thing that we've got in the Pac-12 is that we've got Oregon at both ahead of USC and also in that natty contender uh, territory. They're just over 18, and we've got USC right behind them at 16.8. And then you have these teams that kind of fit in the bubble category where uh, if, if we're just wrong about them by, by a little bit, they might, they might be able to compete for the, the playoff, and that's Washington, Utah. It's, it's a four-team race there out there in the, in the Pac-12. It should be really exciting. They, they should have a great final act. I'll be very interested to see how, how, these, how these games go, uh, particularly when Oregon and USC do manage to, to do battle. That's going to be good, seeing Caleb, uh, Caleb Williams and, and Bo Nix going at it. We've got Oregon as a 42% chance of, of winning the, the conference. And I don't know if we're going to back out to the playoff picture at some point, but I, I will say we've got them as a – very good chance of, of making the playoff right now, Oregon. And I'm assuming our the model's hesitation about USC is defense-related? Yeah. Yeah, we've got them as an elite offense at a, a 41 rating. Yeah, just above average on defense at 24. Based on just reputation, that makes sense. So that brings us to the SEC. Let's talk about the home of the dogs, if we will. I mean, that's the big story here. I think even if we weren't Georgia fans, the thing that we'd be looking at in the SEC is Georgia's very easy path. It is a combination, two-pronged thing that's going on. We've got them as the, be- the, the, the best-rated team, and they are likely to beat any team that they played this year. That doesn't mean that they will. It's just that the expectation should be that they're going to beat any team that they face. And that might change over the course of the season as we learn more about the teams. Uh, but right now, that's what, the, what it looks like. And also, they don't really, we don't really, play very many good teams. We're going to have a, a single-digit spread when we visit Tennessee, who is a solid playoff contender. They've got the 17.5 CBCR2 rating, but we are at 26.5. We are a significantly more talented team, and we just project as a, as a much stronger team than Tennessee. And so when you, when you look at the East, you've got one team that's a playoff contender that is a very good team, if we go into Tennessee and we win that game, and we might not, but if we do, that, that will be a significant achievement. And we've got Florida in the maybe spoiler category, but still we're projecting them only to maybe uh, qualify for a bowl game. Uh, and we've got Ole Miss, who is also in that spoiler category at 11.3. But again, they're going to have to have a really good day when we have a really bad day to, 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 to take home the, that game. So. It's 
the probability of us making the SEC championship game is 91%. And there's no other team that, that is that much of a sure thing to, to make their conference championship game. And because of that, we have over 56% chance of winning the conference, which when you think about it, SEC is definitely the strongest conference. Don't let anybody say they don't take any crap about it not being the strongest conference. It is definitely the, the strongest conference. Somehow we don't have a, a, a rough schedule. And because of that, because we're the best team and uh, because uh, we have an easy schedule, we've got a very good chance of making the, the conference championship game and, and winning it. Okay. So that said, moving over to the West, which is the opposite of the East. The West is easily the strongest conference in football. And it, it's top to bottom, right? So those teams I'm calling as spoiler teams is somewhere eight or above. The worst team in the SEC West is a spoiler. The worst team. So you have seven teams with a rating of eight or higher. When you look at the the other conference, that their division maybe that that could compete as the toughest division in football, and that's the Big Ten East. You've got you know Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Those are a strong top three. But you've also got Rutgers at who is a worse than average team. Uh, Indiana, that's a worse than average team. Michigan, that's only a, a, a slightly above average. And same thing with Maryland and. Those those top three are just going to take care of business here in the SEC West. Got Bama and LSU, both with legit title contender ratings over twenty, but they have to play the SEC West schedule. And Alabama, they have to play Tennessee. That's at home this year. They've got, I'm sure they got a chip on their shoulder. Pretty confident they're they're going to win that. But they got to play one playoff contender in Tennessee, another playoff contender in LSU, another playoff contender in Texas, and if they make it, the best team in football, Georgia. So that is four really, really good teams. And that is why our ratings and our simulations don't really, despite the fact that we we rate Alabama very strongly, we don't like their odds. We don't like their odds and we don't like LSU's odds. And in, in fact, Bama, we've got as less than a 10% chance of, of, of winning the, winning it all and winning the national title. And it's all strength of schedule. They, they're just going to, any team can get them in this SEC West. And one of the things I'll, I'll note here is that a likely scenario is that we've got Georgia going into the conference championship game as maybe a one loss team or an undefeated team, uh, or, or most likely one of those two things. And most likely, as likely as, as, as there's not, Alabama playing Alabama or LSU with two losses. And they might be ranked like 10th to 15th. And people will be, will, might fall into the trap of thinking that they're actually not that good. But they're really, they're, they're really, they really are that good. They are going to have, they are going to be good teams. And they are going to be really good at football. They're just going to have just a gauntlet of a schedule, both of those teams. If they get got by Mississippi State, that doesn't mean anything. That's just, anything can happen on, in a, you know, on a given Saturday in the SEC especially in the West. And so it's going to be a really tough championship game. It's going to be a good game. What do you think about, and I, you've kind of already outlined most of this, but in terms of the playoff picture, it seems like that we have a couple of teams that we think are better than most people and a couple of things that we think are worse. Yeah, so we have, have the top four teams, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, just like everybody else, LSU, five, just like most people. But we have only two teams with over a 50% chance of making the playoffs. That's Georgia and Ohio State. Michigan comes in after that at 40%. So they have a very good chance that even if they don't make it uh, to the, the Big Ten championship game, 
they have a very good chance at making it to the playoff. Uh, perhaps as a as a one loss or eleven one team that did make it. After that, we actually are not going to go back up to our third team. We're going to go down to our sixth rate te- rate team as Clemson. And Clem- we have Clemson as the fourth most likely team of making the playoff. The most likely playoff, according to our system, is Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson. Followed by that, right behind them is Oregon. We have Oregon as a, having a better chance of making the playoff uh, than Alabama. And after that, it's Alabama. And then, despite we have the ninth-ranked team and the 12th-ranked team, the two uh, big, big 12 teams, Texas and Oklahoma, and followed by then our 10th-ranked team, USC, and then you get to our 5th-ranked team, LSU. That's just highlighting how hard it's going to be for Alabama and LSU this year uh, to get through the to, to run the gauntlet. So just to be clear, you're basically predicting not just the quality of these teams, but also based on what we simulated to be the results of the season. How do we think that the playoff committee will react to that? Yeah, and that's the new empirical model that I own my dog quality account. I put a wonky if you're if you're interested in that at, at dog quant on Twitter. And uh, I've got a wonky thing explaining the math behind um, behind how we simulate the college, the, the playoff committee's uh, decisions. And then from there, I'm actually able to simulate the result of the actual playoff. So we have national championship uh, chances as well. Uh, so we, we can go through those too, if you like. I would love to. You, this is probably predictable. The team with the best chance of making it to the playoff, who's also the top-ranked team, has the best chance of making it to the Natty and winning the Natty. So we've got Georgia actually winning one of three simulations. That's a thirty-two point four percent chance of of winning it all uh, and three peating. After that, we've got a twenty-three percent shot by by Ohio State, who is our se- second-rate team, is actually pretty close to being our peer in these ratings. Alabama's only coming in at eight or nine percent chance of winning. Michigan has a 10% chance of winning. That's the only other team that's got a double-digit chance of winning. The next most likely teams to make the playoff, Clemson and, and Oregon, both coming in at 5 6%. And then everybody else is kind of an also-ran. This, unfortunately for LSU, despite their their excellent team this year, we've, we've got them as only a 3% chance of, of taking it all. Texas has a 2.5% chance. That's the only, only other team over two. So it's Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, then Bama, Bay, Clemson, and Oregon. It brings into sharp relief the the role that in a four team playoff that the schedule makes, and also it makes me think about how radically different all of these odds are if we're talking about a twelve team playoff. Uh, yeah, we couldn't even use our our model for that. I think the interesting thing of the lesson that I've learned here is I think a lot of people are thinking we have to be perfect, we have to be thirteen and zero to make it to the playoff. I don't think that's the case. It's just so unlikely that there's going to be like three undefeated teams or or three highly qualified one-loss teams, we don't have to be perfect. We're not going to have to be perfect. I know people are going to say Georgia didn't play anybody, but A, it's not really true. Michigan doesn't have a much more difficult schedule. B, anything can happen. Teams will shoot up the rankings. And C, it's just unlikely that there will be enough teams that are better or peers with Georgia that they're going to make it in. And also, lastly, we're going to crush people. We're going to crush. We're like, our estimated margin of victory is so much higher than any other team. It's like seven points higher than any other team. We're just going to absolutely obliterate people, and they're going to see that. That's part of the eye test, and and that's in our model, and that's why we're, we think we're going to make it to the playoff again. What Do you have a do you have the number in front of you of what we think our average margin of victory is going to be? It's not in front of me, but it's 27, 27 points. Jesus Christ. Damn. Have you done any 
and and I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know that you're about to turn into a pumpkin, but um, have you done any work on like what what do we think about this team statistically versus last year's team? We think it's not going to be much of a drop off on offense. I think that's largely losing the returning production out of the quarterback position is big, but we also have insane returning production at the wide receiver position. I think I just did it back of the envelope, and I think our receivers had like 4,200 yards last year. Like, like returning. When you add in Lovett and Rara Thomas, we just have experience at wide out and at tight end that like we, we should be ready to roll. Like we've got plenty of returning production and, and we, we project well on defense as well. You know, are we going to be as good as the last two years? I guess the odds are maybe not, but I mean, my, I kind of think we will be. Yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't done like anything more than that, but I, I do know that, that what the model is seeing is returning production and talent for the most part and past performance. And so that's why we project well. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know that you know, you've got a, you've got a lot on your plate right now and we really appreciate the, your time. And we hope that even through, it sounds like some pretty big personal news you have coming up that you're able to be back, back with us this semester, Russ, this season, Jesus semester. Wow. You can tell, tell I'm a teacher. Semester works too. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, always happy to talk CDC R2 and, and Sam and uh, yeah, looking forward to looking forward to the season. It should be fun. Thanks a lot, man. So, our, uh, you know, we had our, we had an Ask CBC, we have some Ask CBC questions. I think I'm going to punt on most of those. I have one Ask CBC that I'd like you to address to me because it seems like you wrote it. And a lot of these Ask CBCs are more focused on Georgia and we're going to do more of a Georgia-based episode coming up in this next week, hopefully with our fearless leader, Justin, back in the fold. You know, let's, let's just address just one of these questions. And if you are a patron and you ask these, we will hit them next week. And if you are listening to this and you'd like to ask us a question, you can always hit us at hashtag AskCBC on either Blue Sky, Twitter. I guess you could just like DM us on Instagram. We haven't really used our Instagram much. We got to work on that. We got a TikTok. We haven't used it enough. Uh, we're going to work on that too. Yara, wink, wink. Yes. We, if you'd love, like to ask us a question, you can get it in and we will address it next week. So Yara, ask me our one Ask CBC question. Okay. Hey, what should I do in my last semester of college? Okay. so. The answer has to be more complicated. I've been thinking about this since you posted it on the, on the show notes. Which you could see if you pledged, I think, over $5 on our Patreon, by the way. So I've been thinking about this since you sent it. Okay, so I think what you want to do is have as many sort of like memorable experiences as possible. So like, yes, maybe that involves drinking, but it doesn't have to be drinking focused, you know? I mean, I, I have this vivid memory of... When I was a se my senior year, I went like sort of mid-afternoon drinking at a bar with one of my friends. It was the first time that I had ever really drank like an adult. You know, like we didn't get drunk. We just like had a couple of beers at a bar downtown after class. And I felt like such a businessman, you know. Uh, and then I became a teacher and I can never drink during the day, but whatever. That just really stands up to me, stands out to me rather as a, as a memorable event. And I think you just want to have... We're not always lucky enough to stay in the towns that we go to school in, and, and sometimes that's not possible or we don't even want to. So I think just going to as many cultural events as possible, like concerts and, you know, AFest or Twilight or whatever during, well, that's not going to be this semester, but as many things as possible, right? As many big events. Like I would definitely go to the Wild Rumpus. I would definitely go to Florida if you can swing it. Like I would definitely go to 
like try to catch a concert at 40 watt even if you don't like the artist try to go to the georgia theater even if you don't like the artist right just get some of these experiences in you know, go to chuck's fish and get sushi eat a nice dinner at five and ten go and get a pumpkin at a local pumpkin pumpkin patch whatever cut a tree down at 70s farm up in commerce whatever i think just getting some of these sort of less school related activities will be very happy memories for you thank you i'm actually thinking about going to a concert next month cupcake is going she's playing at georgia theater do you know who cupcake is no oh my god okay so she's like this really niche artist and oh god how do i explain her songs okay you know that one song that's like oh god (laughs) Just look up Cupcake. Actually, just look up Cupcake. I want to see, like, live. Yes. I want to see live react to a Cupcake song. Is this, like, this is a female rapper, right? Yes. Okay. What what song should I listen to? Um, Deep Throat. Okay. Or CPR. Okay. I'm going to click on Deep Throat. What the fuck? <laughs> what is going on? what <laughs> okay 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 so that was an experience i just had when is she coming to athens i would see her live like september god i'm so mad i was gonna gatekeep this information but now everybody's gonna go to the cupcake concert y'all are allowed to come you brody y'all are fine nobody else i want my cupcake experience i can't tell if i would be the only straight guy at that performance or like one or everyone else would be a straight guy I think it's kind of a 50-50, right? Anyway, so this has been Chapel Bell Curve. We're so happy that you're back here with us. I know that maybe we're not in, uh, probably in sound quality, we're not in mid-season form yet. We are happy to bring you the good word. We are so happy to have Yara here to enliven this podcast with their youthful energy and their opinions about five, seven men and just deeply filthy rappers. So (laughs) thank you for being here, Yara. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, we would love if you give us a rating review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, your Spotify podcast DA, or your podcast DA of choice. If you want to follow us on, on any social media, we're always at Chapel Bell Curve, Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all of it. Every single one. If you would like to support us even more than that, we would love if you hit us up at patreon.com slash Chapel Bell Curve. This is a place where you can, just for a little bit of money, as low as $1 a month, access to our amazing discord community some of who are with us right now as you are listening to this and you can just join in the tomfoolery right you can get access to our show notes you can get access to a patron live feed you can get access to if you want to just make if you spend enough money to make your own bespoke podcast segment that we have to talk about and play us like your little marionettes it only costs 50 dollars, which is honestly pretty embarrassing that for 50 dollars you can get me to talk about anything you want we will catch you soon in the classic city and parts unknown until then go dogs go dogs <laughs>